Turn with me to John chapter 7. Find your place at verse number 30. Verse number 30. Today we find ourselves immersed in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of John, a chapter that is rich with intrigue, with controversy, and with profound spiritual revelation. Our focus today is on verses 30 to 39, but to fully appreciate these verses, we must first understand the context provided for us in verses 14 through 29. In the earlier verses, we find Jesus teaching in the temple midway during the Feast of Tabernacles. People were amazed at his teachings, yet they questioned his authority and his origin. Jesus, born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, did not fit their expectation of a Messiah in the line of David. Moreover, his teaching, though filled with authority, confounded them. It had them to pause because they realized that he had not been formally educated like all of the others who taught in the temple. Jesus responds to this confusion and doubt by pointing him to the Heavenly Father. He recognizing that it is the Father who is trustworthy from which I've come. The Father is trustworthy. And so they were confounded. And he pointed them to the Father to help them to realize that he is the source of his teachings. His words are neither his own nor from earthly origins, but they come directly from the one who sent him. Yet this profound truth only adds fuel to the mounting opposition against him. Remember, his fame is growing. People are learning more and more about him, and he's winning the people over. It's as if the people, excuse me, the people are saying, who, who is this? Who's this man? Now, he was, he grew up among us, but, but who is this? And so, as we step into our passage today, we enter a scene where the opposition, the crescendos, it, it grows. The Pharisees and the chief priests are no longer mere spectators, but active participants in a plot against Jesus. And remember, they have been maintaining a disposition that wants 
to kill him. They continue to maintain this idea of removing him out of way. And so the plot thickens. And in this landscape of opposition, there's confusion. Jesus makes a profound and promising declaration that invites all who hear into the transformative relationship with him. He makes a promise. He declares. So let us embark on this journey today Opposition and misunderstanding towards divine promise of living water. Water that Jesus extends to all of us. This kind of water where you drink it and it's over and you're shaking the bottle for more. No, it's a everlasting. It's a living water. And he's inviting all who would believe to come and drink. Come and drink begins with relationship. So this introduction sets the context of the sermon to these verses. Helping listeners understand the background of Jesus' teaching, mounting opposition. So let us look at the word to see what it is. So they asked him, but no one laid on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he do more signs than this man has done. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus said, we'll be with him a little longer. And then I am going <clears throat> to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and will find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not 
or if I might. Oh, Lord and our God, how we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us now to receive your word in such a way where we can take your word and apply it to our lives. We pray that you would speak to us individually and collectively, Lord. Speak to circumstances and concerns and remind us of the hope that we have in you. We pray that you would comfort those who are hurting, those who are discouraged, those who are disappointed and in despair. We pray that you would give us a sense of peace that overflows out of your word, that we might leave here a confident people, an obedient people, loving one another and loving others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May your truth be revealed. We pray that your spirit will peel back the layers of your scriptures that we might know and understand. And we pray that your word would be brought low enough that even the little children would be able to comprehend and to understand. We ask no other but the name of Christ we pray. Amen. This sermon is titled, From Opposition to Overflow, The Promises, The Promise of Living Water. And I have three points. I didn't have it nice up there. I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Point number one, and I'll go up so that you can pick the points. Point number one is the opposition and rising suspicion. The opposition and rising suspicion. Point number two, mysteries unfolded and future foretold. Mysteries mystery unfolded and future foretold. And point number three, thirsty invitation and holy elation. Thirsty invitation and holy elation. Point number one, the opposition and rising suspicion. According to the text, in verses 30 and 31, there's opposition and mixed responses from the people about the Lord. But what are the reasons why they wanted to arrest him? Think about that for a moment. We've been traveling through these chapters. What do you think the reason is that they want to arrest him. They wanted to arrest him because of the bold claims he had made. They, they wanted to silence him because of his statements. They wanted him to shut up because he was embarrassing them. They are supposed to be the teachers. Who do he think he is. So they sent out the Jewish special ops to apprehend the subject, none other than the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus. These individuals had the sole responsibility to capture the Lord. But 
what they fail to realize is that God is always working out his divine plan within his own timing. God is always providentially working out his timing for all of creation. That's the reason we as believers step aside and pray for all the things we want. But then we end our prayers with, Lord, not my will, your will be done. And so we recognize the exclusivity of God's sovereign plan over us. And we know how to step back and consider that God is at work amongst us. But they didn't realize that. But remember, Jesus always had the Father's will, the Father's plan in mind. And so they wanted to quiet him. They wanted him to shut up. And according to the text, we see that the Lord's time His hour had not come. So, though they sought him to arrest him, they could not because it was not his time. Therefore, no one touched him at all because the divine order had not been given from the Father. You see, Jesus saying to them that he only does his Father's will and nothing else. He he doesn't get distracted by the outside influences. His eyes is always set to do the Father's will so that the Father might be pleased. He was attracted to the Father's will. He could not see it any other way. And so he said, I must be about my father's will. Look again at verse 29. A couple, one verse above. 29 and 30. uh, 28 and 29, I'm sorry. 28 and 29 says, So Jesus proclaimed as taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come on own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So, in this passage, Jesus is essentially saying that the Father's timing is perfect for his death on the cross. So, when he's saying... My time has not come. He's looking forward to the mission that God had given him, which is to the cross. So, with that said, I want you to remember this theme because we're going to see it again. runs throughout the Gospel of John. So far, it's been stated already at the wedding in Cana. You remember that in John 2? 2 verse 4. Notice what it says there. When Mary 
that the wine ran out. You know, they were at a wedding. And, and Mary went to Jesus and said, we, we don't have any more wine. We don't have no wine. That, that's how she said it. And what was Jesus' response to her? The text says, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then in John 7, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to his brothers. Remember, they were inviting him. Look, you want to be known? You ought to come to the feast. You ought to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. You ought to make yourself known. Right? And what did Jesus say? He said, my time has not yet come. Your time is always here. So as we travel through this book, we will see the Lord's emphasis concerning the Father's dreaming. And when you combine that with the miracles, it's hard. To deny that even if one might disagree with the Lord, it's hard to deny what he's saying and what he's doing. So it's, it's causing the to be disturbed in their thinking because they hear one thing and they're seeing the evidence of what's happening. So... Look at what happens next in verse 31 and 32. It states, Yet many of the people believed. With all of the opposition that is going on, with all of the things that are being said about him, some heard and some believed. It's the same context we have today here in San Diego. We share the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ and some hear and believe others walk away even after understanding all that was told to them. God is able to cause people to believe by way of his spirit. And some of that has gone on. Some of that has gone on and the people believed. Then it says, they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? You see, that's the, the struggle in the mind. They're, they're trying to comprehend all of this. And that's a good thing. Sometimes we need to be quiet and allow people to think through what's been all Already said. We don't need to continue talking. Why? Because the Spirit is able to use the truth of God's Word. And God begins to draw. He begins to open up the door so that those who might believe might step in and profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Pharisees that the crowd was muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. In these verses, we see a divided response to Jesus' teachings and miracles. On the one hand, many people in the crowd started to believe in the Lord, but on the other hand, they witnessed or heard 
about the miracles and heard about the signs, and they can't help but wonder if he's the one, if he's the Messiah, if he's the Christ, the anointed one, is this the one? But this be the one that possibly performing more significant signs. Is there any other than the Lord Jesus Christ? So the question isn't necessarily doubting Jesus, but rather it's a way for them to make sense of the extraordinary things they've seen and to fit them into their expectations of the Messiah. They heard what Jesus said. They saw what Jesus done. They saw the miracles. And then they're remembering what is the Messiah going to do when he comes. And they're, they're taking all of the evidence, if you, if you would. And then the people are reasoning. Could it be the one? Could it be the one? And here over there, yonder, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees begin seeing the people being won over. And so we see that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and chief priests, aren't so open-minded. Verse 32 tells us they heard crowds, whispers, and discussions about the Lord, but, but rather than thinking deeply about the validity of those thoughts, uh, without, rather than them thinking deeply about what the people were saying, their response was to try to silence the source. Get him now. They decided instead to try to arrest the Lord. These responses reveal the escalating tension and opposition between the Lord and the religious establishment. He's messing up everything. So in these two verses, we see the stark contrast between the people who are open to believing in the Lord based on his signs and teachings and the religious leaders who feel threatened by him. It's a reminder that openness to God's revelation is crucial in recognizing and accepting Jesus for who he truly is, that is the Christ. According to our own lives, how can we apply this thought such as navigating through opposition, the need to have courage in the midst of challenges? As believers, we may face opposition. We may face a misunderstanding because of our faith, just as Jesus did. We should stand firm. Drawing our strength from God. Remembering Jesus' words in John 16, 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, when we're faced with opposition, we want to remember the words of our Christ, the words of our Lord. We must remember that we have already overcome 
Hmm. And we must live in that. We must live in that. That's our home. That's where we draw our strength. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 10 and 13, 10 through 13, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand against the devil's scheme. Be strong, Christian. Live on in God. Do all of that which pleases him. Keep running. Run hard through the tape as the Spirit enables you. Finish well. Children, be strong in the Lord. In the next couple of verses, we see the Lord's response to the misunderstanding of his words. We see this often. Jesus says one thing and they believe that it's something else. Right? And so the next point helps us to see this. We're going to see this mystery unfolded by the Lord and the future foretold. And so according to verses 33 through 36, excuse me, John 7 forms critical part in this chapter where Jesus is responding to the rising tension and opposition towards him. He reveals truth about his mission and again, his identity. So those are the main two things we are continuing to see. We're seeing he's reminding them about his mission but he's also stating to them who he really is. And so he reveals these truths even though the crowd struggles to understand. Let's take a look at the verses. Verse 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Now remember there at the boots, they're reminded of when they were in the wilderness. These boots are supposed to remind them that God has been for them when they were in the wilderness. He rained down manna. He gave them bread in the wilderness. But he's reminding them also that I'm here now. Believe in me. Because there will be a time where I will not be amongst you. And I'm going away. And so in verse 33, Jesus foretells his impending, his impending departure. He explains that he will be with them only for a little while longer. And then he will go to the Father. He will go to him who sent him. And this reference points to his return to God the Father, which would happen after, after his crucifixion, crucifixion. And that's why he says, my time is not yet. There would be a time where he would be crucified and resurrected. He would 
buried. He would be ascended. However, his audience does not understand this divine perspective. He also states that they will seek him and not find him and that they cannot go where he is going. This prophetic statement speaks not only of his physical departure from the world, but also hints at spiritual separation that will exist for those who do not believe in him. And in verses 35 through 36, we see the crowds confusing in response to Jesus' words. They take his words literally and wonder if he intends to leave Jerusalem and go to the Jewish dysphoria, the dispersion among the Greeks to teach them. Is he leaving Jerusalem? They cannot grasp the spiritual significance of his reflecting a broader theme in John's gospel. So there you have them misunderstanding Jesus' symbolic language. And in verse 35, we see that they're still not getting it. In verse 35 and 36, it states that the Jews said to one another, where does man tend to go? that we would not find him. In essence, they're they're not understanding what's going on. That they're saying, what does he mean? They don't understand. They still consider him a mere man, though he's been showing them God. He, He stepped out of humanity To show them his divinity. He showed them that he alone is God. And he's an extension to the Father. But they will not believe. They're still considering him a mere man, though he's doing God-like things. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm him. I'm the one. Believe in me. I'm not like all the others. I am him. I am the one. And unless you believe in me, you would have no life with the Father. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. I am the one. They cannot fathom the miracles they have never seen anyone do, but will not believe what their own eyes are telling them. They see evidence upon evidence, and the evidence is stacked higher and higher and higher, and they still walk away despite all the things that they've seen. There might be someone here today that's just like that. Coming here, listening, understanding more and more, and every day just walking away from news. We're not saying anything that would would destroy you, but we want you to participate in the life, the living water. We want you to come and drink and be filled just as we are filled. 
What a great privilege. And so we're not talking down on anyone who's not a believer. It's just an invitation to come. And we're saying we agree with the Lord Jesus who ultimately gives the invitation. So the Lord told them who he was and their eyes authenticated his claims And some of them would not believe even though the evidence was beyond the normal standard that culture requires. It went beyond academia. And it went far far past academia. And it is as if God steps back and says, what do you think of that? Right? All of the science, all of the technology, all of the medical journals, God steps back, does his work, and you know that it can't be anyone else God. And Jesus says, yes, that'll be me. That will be me. And so up to this point, the Lord has done many miracles and has spoken with authority above and beyond all their teachers, and they still refuse to believe about us? What about us? That's something that we must continue to wrestle with because this is not something that just happens when we come to Christ, but this is something we must continue to maintain. Continue having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue trusting him every day. It just doesn't begin and stop at the moment we receive the Lord as Savior, but as believers, we continue to maintain belief and trust in the Lord for all of life. So are we failing to acknowledge God in our predicaments? In our circumstances, will we take God at his word when believing becomes hard? Or will we walk away like the Pharisees did? Even though God plainly tells us in his word that he would never leave us nor forsake us, but we continue to bow down as if we don't have any hope walking away. Can you imagine a child right, that's at home and mom and dad wants to help the child? has to do, come home. Come home. But they don't want to do that. So can you imagine the parents having to carry that burden knowing that they have everything that the child needs and all the child has to do is come. Receive. So if we can feel discouraged and disappointed when our children fail us, when they don't turn to us, when we can't help them, how much more do a God who knows everything about us in detail, in divine resolution, knowing everything, giving his child everything that they need, but then seeing his child I'll walk away. It's a reminder for us. It's a reminder for us. 
we also need to take God at his word. We also ought to begin practicing now because the storms are coming. Right? We can see it on the horizon that the storms are coming. It's just a matter of time. Soldier, get ready. And we have to remember that we're trying to win the whole thing. We're not just trying to fight. And so that's why soldiers, as soldiers, we must continue fighting and sharpening our weapons. We must continue performing the things we need to perform in practice so that we might be ready for war. That we might be good soldiers. Ready to do the will of God. Ready to honor him. No matter how things might look outside of us. Because we know that we have God living in us. We have everything we need. And so, in essence, these verses underscore the divine mission of the Lord Jesus and the spiritual divide that still exists within us between him and those who don't understand to accept his message. So having heard and grappled with the confusion and speculation surrounding the Lord's words in verse 35 and 36, we now turn our attention to the powerful proclamation he makes in verses 37 through 39, moving from abstract and misunderstood metaphors about his departure. Jesus offers a clear and compelling metaphor about thirst, about drink and living water. This image, though symbolic, carries a promise so profound and so transformative that it cuts through the confusion of its early of his earlier words and lays bare the essence of his mission. So let's explore these captivating and unlock the spiritual promise they hold for each. And every one of us, we too can conquer misunderstandings. And so, like the people who misunderstood Jesus' words, even though we may sometimes struggle to understand God's word and his will for our lives, we can continue to commit ourselves to all that God has given us to do. Asking God for wisdom and guidance, we should have much success. And we see that in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This leads us to our final point, drawn from 37 to 39. Thirsty invitation, holy elation. And verse 37, it states, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. It's interesting. I want to pause there. Uh, There's a lot of people there, right? And so it's a reminder to us as a church that when we're sharing the gospel, we want to get the most out of it. And here it is, the Lord 
goes to the temple among the people during a time where it's full. He, he's in Jerusalem and he's full and he begins to preach. And so he says, if anyone is, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is inviting those who are spiritually thirsty to come to him for their satisfaction, indicating that he is the source of spiritual fulfillment. He's the source. If the Lord is the source, that means that there isn't any other source. There's no other way. He says, he makes that clear. And so this metaphor of drinking suggests the personal action of receiving what he's offering. Right? So it's one thing for the Lord to um, make available that which is fulfilling but the one who's receiving has to make themselves available to receive. They have to receive the offering. That's what it means when we come to faith. We come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We're essentially saying we accept your offering. Offering life, salvation. You're giving us a gift that we don't deserve. You're, you're paying for our sins through your son. God is rich in mercy and through the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes full payment for every believer from conception to the grave. He says, paid in full. Done. That's what the cross was all about. It finished. There's no more need of trying to earn your way into God's kingdom. He says, believe and you should be mine. And no one ever will be able to pluck you out. Because God is strong. He is. We heard about him. He's mighty. He sits back and laughs. At humanity who wags their fists at him. He says, we'll see. Mm -hmm. We'll see. So what a great promise. In verse 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Saying that Jesus shows that believing in him leads a life of spiritual abundance. Spiritual abundance. In other words, God, God is not like us where he said, you know, how much, how much I owe you? Uh, 20, okay, 19. I'll get the other one later. Right? When, when, when humanity, and oftentimes it, it's not all there, or, or you just barely meets the standard. <clears throat> Our Lord is rich. He said, grab everything you need. You have to pay for it. So, 
Jesus shows this living water is not a static state. It's not like static water. You know how you're walking, you see like a little pool, right? And I remember as a kid, we used to see those little living in the side. We used to see tadpoles. You know what I mean? Those days, you know, kids don't go outside no more. That's part of the problem. You got to go outside. But it was stagnant water, and you could begin to, to smell the stench. You, could, you, you, you know that it was a matter of time when life won't be there anymore. God is not talking about that spiritually. He's talking about a continual outpour. You think of a waterfall signifying spiritual nourishment for all of life. Can you imagine that? You know, sometimes we don't receive uh, many of the things that God has for us. It's because we limit God. And we imagine him in ways he'll never be. We, we put shackles on God as if the ability to carry out everything that we ask him and then some. We miss out on the kindness and love of God. He Let's never forget that. And so we see in verse 39, now whom those who believed in him were as yet the Spirit had not been given. Because Jesus was not glorified. John is clarifying. He clarifies Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit who begins to those who believe in him. Right? So we're not saying that salvation is dependent upon the times you come to church, uh, how many you read your Bible, right? Those evidences will come after you. But it will be done out of love. It will be done because you would have been beneficiary of love of God that causes you to want to obey and cause you become attracted to him. You will begin to be like Paul and say, I help myself. You will find singing to the Lord a new song, as the psalmist says. Beginning to understand more of who God is, He's doing in your life right now. Scripture says, Let the redeemer. Here we see Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit who was given to those who believe in him, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who dwells and empowers believers, guiding them in truth and enabling them to live in a way that pleases 
God. So the Lord's promise will be fully realized after his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. When God sends the Holy Spirit to be given to the church at Pentecost, we see this very thing happening. So these verses present the promise of a life-giving relationship with him marked by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And let me be clear. We're not saying that this is about assessing an impersonal spiritual force. I want to be clear. Instead, it's about entering into a deep personal relationship with God, faith in Jesus Christ, and experiencing the transformative presence and power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. What a blessing it is. The invitation the Lord gives, which is the blessing of living water. That's what these verses are. His invitation today. Jesus called to come and this means acknowledging our spiritual need, turning Jesus in faith, experiencing the presence power of the Holy Spirit. As we walk in step with the Spirit, we will produce the fruits of the Spirit and everything goes around us as in Galatians 5. Romans 8.14 For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God conclude with this. As we come to a close today, let us ponder the profound implications of Jesus in these verses, verses for our everyday lives. We all thought amid mounting opposition each of us into a transformative relationship Relationship that meets our deepest spiritual thirst and overflows, impacting the world. So, if we're to drink, it's not for us alone. It's for us that we impact the world. We're to bring that living water to those who are dying spiritually. They're dying of thirst. Evidence, faction, and to feel this thirst. Craving, seeing our body's need for water. Spiritual thirst signals our soul's need for God. And Jesus stands ready to quench the invitation is simple yet profound. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. Take action. Knowing. But it's taking action. Jesus is adhering to a system 
obeying us, coming to him, acknowledging and receiving water. And so, let us come. Let us let us what he has given us. We participate in the because here's what happens as we continue to come to him in faith. As we continue to come to the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our God, and one who empowers us, he will fill us. He will continue to fill us over and over again. So, in a practical sense, this means daily turning to Jesus in prayer, reading his word, meditating word, and then applying his word. We're getting to Lord. We do this. We find new is. So that means that we love our neighbors. We show kindness to a stranger. And the good news of Jesus Christ. Every chance we get. It's a life that not only is blessed, but it's a life that becomes a blessing. We're not just living this life to be blessed. The Lord says it's to give. Give is that when we sing to others and for ourselves. We turn our eyes to the Father. Must be. Let's respond to Jesus' invitation. Let's come to him with our thirst. Let's believe in him. In spirit. Let's allow these rivers, living water to flow. Let's pray.